I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. PlushCare is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Body Wrappers, Angelo Luzio is thrilled to sponsor this episode of Conversations on Dance. Body Wrappers, Angelo Luzio is known for its total stretch tights and Angelo Luzio shoes. Tyler Peck, principal dancer with New York City Ballet, is its spokesperson and designer of Tyler Peck Designs for Premiere. Tyler's beautiful, original leotard designs fit perfectly, move well with the body, won't ride up in the back, and are ideal for class, rehearsal, and performance. Body Wrappers makes additional apparel for all disciplines and significant to dance teachers this time of year. Body Wrappers performance wear remix for competition and recital consisting of various components that can be mixed and matched to create a unique costume you won't see anywhere else. You may view all of the products at bodywrappers.com or to purchase Body Wrappers performance wear remix items, go to your favorite dance retailer shop or online store. To view and buy the entire collection of Tyler Peck designs, go to dancewearcorner.com. This episode is sponsored by the Vail Dance Festival. I'm Rebecca King Ferraro. And I'm Michael Breeden, and you're listening to Conversations on Dance. This week on the podcast, we are tackling a subject that we find of immense interest to students and parents in our travels to schools across the country. Does having a career in ballet mean foregoing college? Our guest this week is a Harvard graduate and a Los Angeles ballet soloist who shows that it's possible to do both. This week, we talk with Elizabeth Claire Walker, who always dreamed of a career in ballet and had parents who strongly valued her education. She trained as a teenager at American Ballet Theater's Jacqueline Kennedy Onassis School. After being accepted at Harvard, she pushed on with her ballet career, attending company auditions and being discovered by Los Angeles Ballet in their inaugural season. Liz deferred college and headed to LA to start her career. An experimental summer school stint in Cambridge in 2007 made Walker fall in love with Harvard and gave her the push that she needed to pursue her degree. She continued dancing while attending college, suffering an injury that made her hesitant to re-enter the world of professional ballet so soon. After graduation and after healing, she was rehired at LA Ballet and was recently promoted to soloist. We talk with Liz as part of our time at the Vail Dance Festival in August of last year. We highly recommend our enlightening talk with Liz for all parents with children who wish to pursue a career in ballet. 
We're so grateful to have you on today, Liz. It's, uh, uh, you know, we've known each other a really long time and it's been fun to reconnect recently and to be here together in Vail is something I think we wouldn't have imagined like 12 years ago when we were yeah. just kids. <laughs> Definitely. I'm so happy to be here. It's and, great to have you. Yeah. I just met you the other day. I know. But we're having so much fun. <laughs> yeah, it's great. <laughs> um, so let's just get started at the beginning. Can you tell us about how you got started dancing? Um, I started when I was three. I think my older sister was taking classes and it was just sort of another activity that we were doing. And I always, I begged to be able to start um, because I wanted to do everything that she did. And so, but then pretty early on, I realized that I really liked dancing more than anything else I was doing. Um, and then when I was about, I think I was like 13, I realized that you could actually be a professional dancer. And so I switched to a better school because I knew I needed to get better training and dance more um, and switched to the Ballet School of Stanford in Stanford, Connecticut, woo-woo, where um, Claudia Schreier also went to ballet school. <laughs> what years were you guys there? I'm just curious okay. because we, yeah. I, I performed in... Yeah. And Balanchine Snowcracker with School of American Ballet there. Right. Okay. So I know that Claudia was there since she was maybe eight or something. And she's two years older than me. But I started there in 2001. So yeah. I did the Nutcracker in three and four. Yes. Okay. What do you have been in? So the? I was there in 2003. My last year was 2003, 2004. And then in the fall of 2004, I went. Did you do like hoops or something? No, because I was always too tall. Too tall. Yeah. Oh. I was like. I think I was already like 5'7 or 5'8 when I was like wow. 13. <laughs> like, oh my God. I grew really early. That's a challenge too yeah. for dancers, especially looking for court of ballet rules like right at the beginning of your career, oh, right? Yeah. Having that height. No, that's what I was told. Every audition, it's yeah. like, you're a little too tall. And um, so I got really lucky when I auditioned for the company I ended up joining because the two directors, their husband and wife, and they're both very tall. And so they love tall dancers. And so yeah. it wasn't as much of a problem for them. Um, so let's talk about that company. Yeah. That's, yeah. Uh, that's the, all about it. You, uh, right out of uh, training at uh, the JKO School for American Ballet Theater, um, you went into uh, Los Angeles Ballet, which was its inaugural season mm -hmm. um, under Colleen Neary and Thordell Christensen. So um, how did you make a choice like that to kind of... Uh, attach yourself to something that could have been a risky move, you know, you, uh, what are some of the benefits and the potential risks of being a founding member, yeah. member of a company? I mean, I definitely, there were a lot of people saying that year, this was 2006, there were a lot of people saying, you know, well, LA has never been able to support a ballet company, you know, how is this going to work? And, but the, the two of them have incredible backgrounds. You know, Colleen was a soloist in Balanchine's company. Thordal grew up in the Royal Danish Ballet, and they both were principals at PNB for many years. Um, so I knew that, you know, they came artistically from a really strong background. And they also made it very clear that they wanted to really slowly grow the company. And they had this model of sort of traveling around LA to a bunch of different areas since it's so spread out. Um, so they definitely had kind of a unique approach and they weren't promising, you know, astronomical pay or like, you know, they weren't trying to, you know, attract um, 
I don't know, the the b- biggest dancers in the world. They were just starting small and starting with kind of unknown dancers, um, but really g- nurturing their the dancers that they had. And so I trusted them. Um, and it's also, yeah, it's really exciting to kind of be part. I was also in the first class at JKO. Mm-hmm. So I'd had that experience oh, wow. at least for those two years that I was there of, yeah. you know, being part of a little trial and error period and feeling like, you know, you all kind of band together and it was very much the same way in the beginning of LA ballet. Um, I think it's cool that uh, you guys follow that same model that Miami city ballet mm -hmm. does that both uh, Miami and Los Angeles are thought to be sort of, I guess, transient places or Los Angeles, you know, people, there's such an emphasis on the film industry and maybe less so in well, not the arts. I guess Los Angeles is very supportive of the arts, but ballet for some reason hasn't stuck. Um, But you have to work your way around that. So I think Edward and Colleen both saw the benefits of um, serving many yeah. different theaters. And yeah, the serving area. different communities. You go to your audience. You don't make people from the West Side drive all the way downtown to right. see something. You know, so it's it has worked for us. Um, and we've expanded to, I think, total of seven different theaters. Wow. Right now we have five wow. in rotation, but um, we've been performing at a lot of different places. And do you do every, all the programming's the same in each location or does it change? Does it vary by rep? Like you yeah. only do Swan Lake, say, yeah. in the bigger theaters? So or? the, like we perform at the Dolby, for example, in Hollywood and we only do Nutcracker there because it's such a big house sure. that will definitely sell out right. there. But um, we don't do any of our, our, you know, lesser known reps at the Dolby. Um, but most, we have four that are, um, that we do everything at. Mm-hmm. So they're kind of, I mean, I've been now performing there for 11 years. So they're kind of each place is home. And I know yeah. the little, the cafes I like to go to in each yeah. little neighborhood. And so it's, it's nice. Yeah. That's exactly how it is in Miami too. Yeah. It's mm-hmm. really similar. Are there ever anything that's like far enough away that you guys stay in hotel rooms or anything, or is it more that you always are commuting? We're usually always commuting. We do perform in out in Palm desert, the Palm Springs area. Um, so for that, we, our bust out there and then come back. But um, yeah, otherwise it's just, it's like we're touring the city and, uh-huh. and commuting and we get to sleep at home at night. It must so be a fun yeah. way of exploring your own city too. Los yeah, Angeles mm-hmm. is so sprawling. Mm-hmm. I would imagine it would be tempting to kind of just stay in your own neighborhood otherwise. Yeah, totally. Yeah. And I feel like I really know all the different areas of the city now really well because um, I've sort of been forced in a way to get out of my comfort zone yeah. and, and go all around. So yeah, it's been nice. Something that I think is interesting is obviously you were being trained in a more classical background and then you were coming into something that uh, was more of an emphasis on balancing, especially in those early years, Colleen and Thordo were really bringing in strictly like what they knew. Mm-hmm. Um, so some Bourneville, but a lot, a lot of balancing. Right. Um, so what was that like for you? Were you always interested in doing something different or um, was that a hurdle yeah. as well? I actually always wanted to be a Balanchine dancer. Like my, yeah. my mother had subscribed to the New York city ballet in the seventies. And so that's always what we went to see when I was growing up. Mm-hmm. Um, and then when I was sort of coming up in my training, um, I did a summer at SAB, but then I really felt like because I had gotten serious about dance at 13, I was a little bit late in terms of my technical foundation. Mm-hmm. So I really needed that um, rather than focusing on the balancing style, I needed to get my technique really solid. Um, so that's sort of how I ended up at ABT. But I always 
really connected with the musicality of Balanchine and the expansive movement. And um, so that was always a dream to get to dance those ballets. So it was another, you know, added reason why I went to LA. Um, and in terms of switching style, yeah, switching style. I mean, I'm still learning so much about, uh-huh. about just technique generally, but also, you know, Balanchine, uh, Balanchine style and incorporating it into my body and mm-hmm. making it work on my body. Um, but I guess that's, that's the fun of it. And it's, it's always like every day is something new that I'm, I'm learning and yeah. adding. So we definitely want to talk about your um, unique career path that you started dancing at LA Ballet and then you decided to go to college. Um, can you tell us about that and how that came about? Yeah. So I can't, I come from a family where I, there aren't really many artists in my family. Um, mm-hmm. So it was very much um, the expectation that right after high school, you know, you go into, you get into the best college you can, you go to college um, and then you get a real job. <laughs> um, but yeah, so my, um, during high school I was, you know, training and I really wanted to become a professional dancer. Um, and I think my parents were really unsure about the security of that career path and injury. And, um, they also, you know, valued education so much that they wanted me to have that experience of, of getting a college degree. Um, so at the same time that I was auditioning for ballet companies, I was applying to colleges and um, I had a friend, Claudia, who I already mentioned, who was two years older than me and we had trained together and she went to Harvard. And um, while she was there, she got very involved in the extracurricular dance scene because at the time there was no dance major, um, but there was a really rich actual ballet um group there so which especially then was not as common um in colleges it was it's more focused on contemporary or modern dance most programs so harvard stood out in that it had um really strong classical ballet um so and so she had been telling me about it and i was like oh like maybe i'll i don't know if i could get in but maybe i'll just throw this on the list of of potential options and I applied and like to my great shock, I ended up getting in. Um, So then, and of course at at that point, my parents were like, okay, well, so you're definitely going to do that. (laughs) And I was like, oh, uh, well, I really want to dance. And um, so I was all sort of, um, sort of signed up to go after my senior year of high school to Harvard. And then this job offer came from Colleen and Thordle. and so in that summer, I decided to uh, take one year. Take They allow you to defer for a year. So right. I deferred for that year. Um, and then they limit the number. So you can only defer for one year before you start. Um, so at that point, I didn't want to lose the chance to ever go. Um, so it was a really tough decision. But I, I um, spoke to my directors and I said, you know, if, if there's any way, if I at least go for a semester, um, I can secure my spot and then I can defer indefinitely. And they said, okay, great. Like you'll just miss Nutcracker and then you'll come join us in the spring. And I said, wonderful. So that was the plan. I started and two things happened. One, I had a pretty bad lingering foot injury. Um, so I really, it got to the point in December where I wasn't really able to dance very well. Yeah. So 
and I really loved being in school and the environment was just really incredible. Um, and I had met a lot of amazing people that I wanted to be with, um, on campus. So I, um, at that point, sort of mid year, I decided I was going to stay through the year. And then that turned into staying through all four years, uh, with one, one semester, my junior spring, um, I actually, I really wanted to test out whether I wanted to dance professionally again or pursue something else. And so I contacted Colleen and, um, she happened to be doing an all balancing program with a lot of women. We we were doing Serenade and we were doing PC too. So she said, yes, of course, we'd love to have you back. And, um, I came back for two months, I think, and danced and loved that and was like, all right, this is what I'm going to do. So, um, so yeah, then I went after that semester, went back to my final year, re-auditioned again, um, at SAB in the (laughs) cattle call audition, (laughs) which was a really funny experience. Um, and then, uh, came back, moved back to LA in the fall of 2011. So yeah, it's... What did you major in in school? Ooh, I majored in history of art and architecture, Mm -hmm. which was incredible. And I decided on that because I just flipped through the whole course catalog, looking at the different majors. Uh I knew I was interested in history. um, And every single course in that department, I was like, I would love to take that course. And Mm -hmm. it's also a really small department. So I had... Uh, close relationships with professors, which in some of the bigger departments you're not really able to have. Um, so yeah, I just, I adored that major. <laughs> yeah. That's so great. While you were at Harvard, did you ever sort of consider a possibility that you might not dance professionally again? Yeah, yeah, I did. And I actually went through multiple sort of mourning periods of <laughs> yeah, just kind of, I there was a time when I couldn't really talk to a lot of my friends from ballet because it was I was so sort of sure that I wasn't going to return to that world and it was so painful that I wasn't going to um so yeah um and then yeah being there I was sort of exploring what other things I could do and um we also had a student-run ballet company which was an, an awesome experience because um we got to see every side of planning a performance and putting on a performance. Like we even did the load in and load out at the theaters and hung lights and all of that. So I've, I got to see like every side of putting on a production. Um, but yeah, that's such valuable experience too. I feel like for the future, Mm -hmm. no matter what really. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, so if you weren't going to go back to dancing, what were you thinking about doing? What was your other option that you were weighing? Um, I think there are a few different things. I mean, I think there are some tracks that people at Harvard go into, like a lot of people go into consulting and I was like, Oh, maybe I want to do that. And then maybe do like consulting for nonprofits, um, arts administration, possibly um, using my art history background to maybe work in museums. Mm -hmm. Um, And I still think maybe I would want to do that eventually. Uh, but yeah, it's I never had a super clear concept because I was dabbling in things and then that junior year where I was like, okay, I need to start thinking about what's after college, I did that ballet test <laughs> right. and and decided on, you know, going for going for ballet. Right. But yeah. 
We will return to Conversations on Dance in a moment, but first we want to talk to you about the tights you're wearing. Are you sick of buying class and performance tights that rip after just a few wears? Sometimes you get them fresh out of the package and then suddenly a huge hole. Wouldn't it be great to find a pair that not only held up through tons of washes, but also looked great? What if they also improved your line and the way your legs were covered? That is why you need to try Zarelli. At Zarelli, a team of designers, engineers, physical therapists, and dancers have come together to create high-technology legwear that promises to improve your performance life cycle. There's a style for each cycle of the dancer's career, rehearsals, performance, and recovery. For more, visit Zarelli.co. That's Z-A-R-E-L-Y dot C-O. We are pleased to be able to offer our listeners a special discount. At checkout, simply enter promo code Conversations on Dance Zarelli. All one word. There's kind of a stigma a little bit, right, within the ballet community that right after high school, you should go right into your career. Yeah. Because those are such valuable years um, that you really can't afford to waste just your youth. You know, that if you go to college and you come out four years later, everybody's already had their core career already, you yeah. know, and you've missed all this time. So what are your thoughts on that? And do you agree with that? Do you disagree? Do you feel like this was 100% the right thing for you? Would you have done it differently? I think it's a real issue. And I see both sides sort of of, of I've had negative impacts on my career and also positive, I think, mm-hmm. because I took those four years. Um, you know, I'm 29 now and <laughs> I was just promoted to soloist. And Yay! I think like a lot of that, <laughs> I think a lot of that time though that it took was as you said yeah people mm-hmm. had already done like people were getting promoted who were younger than me because sure. they had put in the time mm-hmm. and um and that's you know that's just a fact and um i also think that those 4 years that i could have been really intensively working on my technique and working on you know getting becoming a better performer i was fo- a little bit more focused on other things so um it is totally valid that it works for a lot of people to go straight in mm-hmm. um, after high school. And um, I do sometimes feel that I <clears throat> that I want people to see me dance before they know that I went to college. Like, I, I don't know if I'm just imagining this stigma, but I, I feel it sometimes. Like, if people know that I took that time maybe I'm less serious about ballet mm-hmm. or maybe I'm just I you know didn't have what it took to go right into the company I don't know there's are all kinds of assumptions people could make so I tend to sort of not reveal that information mm-hmm. right off the bat um but at the same time I I made a lot of personal connections while I was at mm-hmm. school and generally being part of a large educational institution. I mean, they're well-funded. They bring in artists and, you know, thinkers who mm-hmm. are potential collaborators or instructors right. for you. And, um, you know, I'm still working with people I worked with at Harvard and um, I'll be going back. They're having a um, summit over a weekend in September for um, alumni who are working in the arts. Mm-hmm. So I'm going to go back for that and, um, so there's like there's a lot of support that goes with being part of another community, right. um, and so I love the fact that I have this this other community on the side that's separate from the ballet world, but also sort of intertwined. Um, so it's I mean it's and obviously like I 
adored being on campus and meeting all the people who were studying completely different things from me because being around interesting people inspires you. Mm-hmm. And um, so I wouldn't have, I wouldn't trade my path for anything, but um, it is, I mean, it's, it's an interesting question and I, I am interested to see in the future where this goes. And mm-hmm. I mean, more and more dancers are doing college on the side while right. they're having professional careers, mm-hmm. which I think is a wonderful model and should be promoted. Um, but I do hope that my model can maybe be explored more by people right. a little bit. Um, and you know, if they can find ways to, um, make it work. Yeah. I'm so curious to, um, I haven't ever, I don't believe like met someone or spoken to someone, you know, cause our other example of, um, mm-hmm. uh, someone who, successfully went to college mid-career is Lauren Fadley, who Mm -hmm. did something similar where she had the uh, initial experience of being in a company and then went to college. Right, yeah. Um, So she probably danced with New York City Ballet for what, two years, I think? It was two years, yeah. Um, So both of you still had had a taste and you knew you, like, you you could constantly refer to that at least through your college years and be like, I know I did it. I know I can do it again. Yeah. But um, I'd love to meet someone who just did mm-hmm. the four years right. and then, and then got, I mean, yeah, I actually, um, yeah, I think a huge reason why I was able to transition back into ballet was that I had made that connection in LA. Mm-hmm. I knew that my artistic directors liked me and my dancing and my work ethic. And so I had a relatively easy way to go back in. Right. Um, and it is, I mean, if people, I have one friend who, or a couple actually, who, she went into Harvard without starting dancing professionally. And then during her time there went on an audition tour, got mm-hmm. a job and then has since danced with various companies. Um, so yeah, maybe I can connect you guys with her. Yeah, but, yeah. but yeah, I mean, she, I think she did in just in conversations I've had with her, I think she did sort of have that question. Like, can I cut it? Am right. I going to be able to do this? And um yeah, it's yeah, it's hard and also when I think being at a school um like Indiana or say Juilliard where you're you are a dance major and you have resources that and connections to artistic directors or to companies um that makes it a little easier than at sort of a more isolated liberal arts institution right. where right. it's not the normal um path I think this is such an important uh, conversation for students and parents alike, because like you mentioned, your parents always had that uh, goal for you to accomplish college, go through the whole thing. And I know um, Michael and I have talked about this before our, you know, what happened with our parents, like my parents, that was definitely what I was going to do. And I had to take time to explain why this is, was the path I was going to take. And it was you know, it's challenging. It's hard to, like you say, accept that your kid may or may not make it in a career that isn't secure in any way. And there's injuries. Definitely not well paying. And definitely not well paying. <laughs> <laughs> so um, what advice would you give to ballet students who are trying to decide between college and professional yeah. careers? I mean, yeah, those were some of the toughest conversations of my life with my parents, I you know, know yeah. just trying to make them understand how much I care about dancing and, um, how I would regret it if I didn't go for it. Um, but I also saw their side and, um, I've, I've talked to a few students who have been going through this transition since I've graduated and I sort of tell them 
to try to do try to do both um mm-hmm. you know there there is always a way and whether it means you start school but you are staying con- keeping your connections with people in the professional dance world you're taking class every day you're prioritizing keeping your body in shape mm-hmm. um and just i mean a lot of the most rewarding experiences of my performing career were in college when i was performing and working with other students and mm-hmm. choreographing pieces together and so just to also if they have decided to go to college make the most of that and you know really value those experiences um but yeah if there's a way to make a connection with a company like i did just for a year before you matriculate or um um, or if you find, if you have an offer with a company and you find that they have something in place, um, to start getting your degree, mm-hmm. you know, pursue that as quickly as possible. You know, the, the longer you take off between, right. um, right. the harder it's going to be to sort of get back into doing both. Right. And I really, I mean, when I graduated from Harvard and started back in LA, I suddenly felt, you know, a little bit lost because I didn't have my school work on the side. Right. Like I think everyone does really thrive from having something else, like another outlet and something sure. else to focus on. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, I think, I think if people can follow that model of doing, doing both in whatever way that means to them, um, every, everyone's that, happy. <laughs> yeah. The year of defer, like deferring college sounds. Yeah. Yeah. Is that like a general rule across the board that you can if you get in most schools they give you a year i think most places it's a year um many places it's more than a year two or three um i think duke is three northwestern might be three um and i've had friends in la ballet who've gone to both of those schools after having careers in la and just they've deferred and then and i think most places also once you start um you can take time off. Okay. Um, yeah. Oh, yeah. I mean, that's definitely another option than just yeah. feeling like you have to do those four years yeah. right away and yeah. kind of accomplish it all at once. Like you can, there are other options exactly. and still while attending yeah. school instead of necessarily doing it online. And probably that's what I would have done. Mm-hmm. As I said, it, other than the injury that I ended up right. having right at that time. Right. Right. Yeah. So, yeah. and then at that point I was like, well, I've done two and a half years. I, and I had, roommates who I loved and classmates who I wanted to sort of have the full campus experience with. So I stuck it out, but yeah, other people, yeah, you can get a little taste of both and Mm -hmm. do it all. Do you feel like there were other challenges you already kind of spoke about, um, maybe playing catch up a little, um, well, maybe were some other challenges in coming back to a company that you had been with for, I think just sort of, I mean, feeling like, I mean, it's very silly. Like I graduated, I think I was 23 when I graduated and I was like, oh, I'm, you know, I'm a fully formed adult and I know what I'm doing in this world. And, you know, being in a ballet company, you really do have to kind of keep quiet and keep your head down and Mm -hmm. conform to the way of working. Um, And not that I didn't do that, but I think maybe the transition back in was a little rougher than it could be because I, you know, wasn't in that ballet environment exclusively. what else? What other struggles did I have? Um, I think that's interesting because that's something, it makes sense that you would have uh, kind of come into that idea earlier, having had this outside experience. But that's something I feel like maybe we started talking about within the past 
few years, mm-hmm. you know, like, and, and I'm 30. Mm-hmm. So it would have been later than you, you know, th- when you start to realize, wait, like I'm an adult and I crave some level of autonomy. Yes. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And autonomy and being treated with respect and, and treated as an adult. And I think it's, it can be hard in, in a valley company. I think there are some environments where the companies do really well with that. Right. And, um, but I think the majority maybe are not. <laughs> I don't know. It's like always still sort of ballet students, you yeah. know, right. always. I mean, they still call you boys and girls. Boys yeah. and girls, yeah. And that's what, I mean, it is, it's great that we're so disciplined and, and you know, together. And that's what makes us such good dancers and excel. But yeah, it's, you do sort of want to be an individual a little bit. Yeah. I mean, that was one thing that was really jarring when I left Miami City Ballet. You just feel like the ballet world, I mean, at the one on the one hand, you start to be like, I'm an adult and I deserve mm-hmm. something more. But then on the other hand, you're very coddled. Mm-hmm. So I go out and I'm like, I'm still a child. What do yeah. I do? Yeah, yeah. I mean, I heard a podcast with Wendy Whalen the other day and she was saying, you know, I'd, I'd gotten my schedule emailed to me the night before for my whole adult That's life. literally what we were just That's saying. That, we, we ha- the other day. Yeah, yeah. that I have to write out my whole schedule right. for myself and, yeah. you know plan everything very yeah, meticulously yeah. and I, I'm not used to that. Mm-hmm. That was one good thing about, about college, yeah, is that it's very free form. You make your own schedule and I figured out by my second year, I think, that so Harvard for some reason only offered advanced ballet technique classes at 6 p.m., 6 to 7.30 and I realized very quickly that that just didn't work for my body or my psyche. So <laughs> I there was luckily a studio in Harvard Square um, where they have open classes every morning, 10.30 to noon. So I just figured out that I could stack my schedule. So I would right. just do my class and then everything had to start at noon or later. Right. Um, but yeah, it's like, uh, other than that, you have to make sure you're doing your writing your papers when you need to and going to your meetings when you need to. But there's more like time management on yes, your own than yeah. just being like, oh yeah, I'm, oh, yeah. all my rehearsals are scheduled for me and then I'll be, yeah, I'll be yeah. <laughs> ready by the time I do all the rehearsals they've given me. Yeah. yeah it's yeah. definitely a different yeah. feeling. I should mention also that like when, um, when I first got there, Heather and Damien were there my first year. Um, so, uh, Damien was getting his, um, degree at the Kennedy school and, Heather was teaching um, and coaching. And so I did, she coached me in Apollo, I think. And I think that's the only thing actually that she coached me in, but she was around my first year. I wish she was around longer. That's so cool. Um, Yeah. So, I mean, and I also throughout my time there, like they brought in Virginie Massen, who is the, um, she's a director in, the Graham company. I think she's the second company director. Um, and she staged Appalachian spring. And I mean, they brought in all kinds of incredible artists from different, uh, dance backgrounds. And, Uh um, I think like being generally also being an artist and being a performing artist is all about collaborating and Mm -hmm. engaging your communities. And, um, so, being at a university where, you know, they're really focused on interdisciplinary collaborations and bringing in the best people from whatever field. Um, it's a, it's a great place to be and a great place to learn how to be an artist and how to work, um, and how to make, make those relationships and connect with an audience. Um, so, yeah. So you, as you mentioned, you were just recently promoted to soloist. Um, yay. <laughs> so 
with all of this kind of everything leading up to this moment, did you see that this would be in the cards for you or did you think like maybe that wasn't going to happen? Yeah, I, there was a long time where I thought that was not going to happen for me. Mm-hmm. Um, and part of that also was when I finally got back after Harvard about like four months into uh, my first year back in LAB, I tore the same oh. uh, ligament in my foot and th- this time I had to have surgery. And so mm. I was off for nine months and it also just, it took me a really long time to really get back. Yeah. Um, and I also lost a lot of confidence through that process. So, mm-hmm. um, so yeah, I started having a lot of like performance anxiety. And when I finally did start getting solos again, mm-hmm. um, I, probably didn't do the best that I could do because I was like, Oh my God, this is my, my one chance and I have to do it perfectly. And so I've done a lot of work to kind of focus on like, Oh, I just need to go out there and turn my anxiety into excitement and Mm -hmm. reframe it as like, I can't wait to, you know, connect with this audience. That's That's literally what I do. I I, I like to not let let myself use the word nervous. I'm like, I'm not nervous. I'm excited. I'm excited. excited. These feelings are excitement. Yeah. It's it's so funny. I, we were talking to Lauren Lovett a little bit about her um, performance anxiety too. And it's just, something that people don't necessarily think about. And it's such a mental block. Like she was saying that sometimes she would go out on stage and just completely blank and mess up the choreography, which I think we've all had moments like Mm -hmm. that where that happens and it can just be. I have video of Rebecca doing just that. Oh my gosh. We we should post that. that. (laughs) Oh my gosh. And it's one of those moments too. Like she's so terrifying. It's so bad. Like when you're in the front and you can't tell you're wrong. Like I didn't know I was wrong. But you kept going. I kept going with so much enthusiasm. I was like, Oh yes. So, um, I, it's yeah. really great to hear you yeah, know no, talking that, about that because I think it's helpful for people to know and for other dancers to know that yeah. it's a common thing and that there are ways that you can like work on it mm-hmm. and it's gotten so much like I hadn't experienced it ever before and suddenly after this surgery it was really bad and I think it's completely like turned 180 like since I've started reframing right. um so yeah that's great yeah I love that well Thank you so much. Yeah. Thank you so much. I think this is just such valuable information. And I'm glad that you spoke with us today. I am too. To have guests of different uh, backgrounds and that all what happens in your life informs who Mm -hmm. you are as an artist. Oh my gosh. Yes. Yeah. 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 Thanks for joining us. Thanks, guys. Thank you for joining us this week on Conversations on Dance. Every Monday, we release a new episode with the dance world's best and brightest. To be notified of a new episode, subscribe now on iTunes, iHeartRadio, or wherever you get your podcasts. Follow us on social media at Conversations on Dance for additional content and new episode alerts. Thank you for joining us this week on Conversations on Dance. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns.
Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details.